Welcome to another episode of the Paradigm One Thirty Two Podcast. I'm your humble and gracious host, Rashad Horn. And on today's episode, I want to talk about reparations. Um, this is a topic that, for the most part, I didn't necessarily want to speak about. Um, I've sat and listened to, you know all sides of the equation, all sides of the coin, so to speak. And so I decided, I said, well, you know what? Let's talk about it. You know, let's talk about it. Um, Obviously, it has, got, it has garnered a resurgence as far as actually being a topic in which is gaining mainstream attention. And that can be credited to maybe the HR 40 bill. It could be attributed to ADOS. Um, obviously, of course, it's gotten some of the Democratic candidates speaking about it, which at this particular point, um, I feel people are starting to wake up somewhat. And so they may lend and, and speak on these particular topics to kind of keep, you know, certain things secure, but that's a different topic for a different day. So I want to stick on the topic at hand because I have the tendency to go off, but I want to stay on topic tonight. So when we hear reparations, if any of you like me were fans of the of the Chappelle show, we remember that on one of the particular episodes of the Chappelle show, uh, he did a, a parody of black people receiving reparations. And so it was Obviously, you know, it's funny because David's a comedian. He put his comedic twist on it. But at the same token, it was one of those stereotype type of things where we had us um, buying cigarettes, buying liquor, um, buying cars, putting rims on cars and stuff like that. And it kind of, when you you put that type of um, art out there, because that's, that's what it is, is art. Depending on who it is that's watching it, you may get a different determination from it. Because we as black people, we may look at it and say, ha ha, you know, that's, you know, that's pretty funny. You know, I, I know a few of us that are going to do that. But when you put that art out and it's readily accessible to a multitude, to the masses, they may look at that and say, wait a minute. That's what they're going to do. And they overlook the aspect that we actually have individuals within our community who are very smart, who are very good with money that could actually take the money, actually put it into projects and actually help employ others. But due to the fact that the imagery is essentially to, to... for lack of a better term, it's been niggered down. Um, as some people say, I don't want to get too deep. Some people may say there's a there's a difference between a nigger and a black person. And what was displayed on that particular episode was nigger behavior versus black behavior in which we're looking for ways to actually better ourselves without falling victim to more and more consumer debt is actually about actually acquiring intellectual properties. It's about acquiring real properties and things of that particular nature. So you have the nigger imagery um, on full blast. And it's, it's so prevalent that I have to stop myself sometimes. I have to catch myself because when I initially first heard about reparations and this was prior to this particular upcoming election this was prior to this year i first was introduced to it by dr claude anderson who is one of the people that if you know me personally or if you know if you've grown to know me through this podcast you know that it's one of the um I, of course outside of my father one of the most influential men that i've come across and when i say come across i'm speaking about his work 
and reading his work and talking about uh, reparations, about what it is that we will actually have to do, we as black people have to come together as a as a one. You know, we would essentially have to come together as a, as a nation and present our case to the United Nations and say, hey, we were wrong during slavery for 400 years, which we really can't even say 400 years. We really can't say 500 years because um, the definition of slavery, basically, and you can kind of, and this, this is kind of taking a lot of the oomph out of it. The definition of slavery is essentially work. It's hard work, right? It's essentially hard work. So we really can't even put years on it. It's it's almost it's it's been it's if ever since whichever theory that you attest to, if you if you go with the theory of everyone came here on boats, or if you go by the theory that hey we were already here, then whatever theory that you want to go by, it's uh, it's been hard work, point blank period. So slavery from that by that definition has not ended because we've really not gotten to the place that we actually want to be. We haven't gotten to our our better selves. And that's that's saddening, right? It's saddening. And it's it's to the point that it's almost like people have essentially given up. Um just given up. And again, that's sad because there's so much potential out here. Um, but again, the negative behavior takes over. So getting back to uh, Dr. Claude Anderson, he had an elaborate plan laid out and that was his plan. We have to come together as a nation and say, hey, this is what this is what has transpired. We were not compensated for 400 years. We were miseducated. We were... Um, subjugated we were just i mean it was just just anything that comes to mind i mean the realities of it trans of it happening actually occurred right so um so that was my first introduction to hearing that particular word right and so obviously of course going back going well scratch it that was my first time hearing it the way that it needs to be laid out my first time hearing about it, obviously, I told you, was on the Chappelle show, right? Just hearing that particular word. And at the time that I was watching this show, I wasn't as in tune to things that are transpiring around me as I am now. So, obviously, I wasn't able to fully digest what was going on. I just looked at it, like I said, as, hey, that's, you know, that's humorous. Like, yeah, let me get a check, you know? And at that particular age, I'm going to give me a car, give me some big rims, and you know, nigga stuff, right? But at the, But, again... Excuse me. Again, you have to grow from that, right? And I've I've grown from that, that mindset. So so moving on, after I heard it from there, it was one of those type of things where it's like, man, you know, it'll never happen. You know, it'll never happen. Because I was still looking at it from a fiscal standpoint. And from a fiscal standpoint, it's actually obtainable. Right. Just depending on the situation, you know, the way the situation goes. But. It's so much more. Um, I'm not I don't subscribe to the ADOS. Some of my listeners may do, but I don't subscribe to it. I don't really. Um, I like what they're talking about, um, but just from a ideological standpoint, I don't feel like we should be essentially dividing ourselves, dividing ourselves from our brothers and sisters in the Caribbean and dividing ourselves from our brothers and sisters on the mother continent. So from that particular standpoint, I would probably take the stance of I'm more of a Pan-Africanist versus a person that says, okay, well, I'm a American descendant of slavery, right? But in all actuality, it's like... This is a this is a global thing, right? This is a global thing. This is just a continental thing, and and obviously, of course, you have the rebuttal of well, let them go to their oppressors and demand reparations from them. This is this is us, 
the thing about it is, is when you really stop and you think about it, the individuals that enslaved us actually went over there and they actually tortured people over there as well to actually get to this particular point. So in all actuality, the same people that owe ADOS owe Africans on the continent and Jamaicans as well because it's just a, a great system of migration. So, you know, it's one of those, you know, it's one of those type of things. So, and it, it, it it's a slippery slope. Um, it's a slippery slope, but I feel like we're all in this together and we can't allow for divisiveness from either side, whether it's from our side or from the predominant side, allow for us to actually get to a point where we're bickering back and forth about, well, this is us over here. And it, and it gets to the point as um, a YouTube personality that I listen to. He says, "Hey, I don't, I don't subscribe to the to the tribalism, right? And that's essentially all it becomes is you can dress it up and whatever you want it to be. If you want to say, oh, well, this is a company or this is an organization or this is a movement, whatever like this. Essentially, it all derives from a tribe. It's a tribe that means that y'all are all together. Y'all have the same things. Y'all think alike. So it's just tribalism, regardless of whatever adjective that you want to put on it to try to change it. It's, it's tribalism at the end of the day." So to eradicate all of that is just say, look, I'm for all, right? We're all in this together. There's no over here and over there. But, you know, it is what it is. But getting back to um, the subject matter at hand, getting back to uh, ADOS, I, like I said, I've gone to that site. I've looked at uh, the things that they're proposing. And the thing that I, that I like about what they're proposing is it's not one of those scenarios where it just ends and say, hey, everyone, write everyone a check, right? And so to a smaller standpoint, we've probably seen the show about the lottery winners that win the money and then in a few years they actually um, may end up in a worse condition than they were before they got the money, right? And so it, it gets to one of those situations because obviously, like I said, we have a a bright group of African Americans that understand what to do to do with the money, but we also have individuals that don't know what to do with the money, right? And so obviously that's where I like the ADOS because it's because if we break down reparations, okay, we can start and say repair, repair, which we could say okay that means to repair. So to repair means to fix. So to fix means that we, we, we're setting up systems where we're able to kind of fix what's going on here. And one of the things that, that needs to be fixed, because a lot of people, they talk about, um, which I'm biased. I'll be honest, I'm biased. I've never lived in a major city, so I don't really know what the inner city is like. But I also know that I grew up in a rural country area, and I know that... Um, the opportunities are a lot further away versus if you're like in a major city, like say for instance, you live in Chicago, like, okay, well maybe you can go five minutes and like, hey, there goes quarter of a million, half a million, million dollar houses. Versus being in the country where I grew up, I would essentially have to go to a completely different state to actually see the opportunities. Whereas in the inner city, you can actually go and see the opportunities. But again, you have somewhat of a of a of a wall there because it's like you can't you can get to the opportunities, but you need to be you're not you're not actually prepared for the opportunity because there's a lot going you know it's a lot going on and the same thing goes with being in the country and also being in the south. It's one of those scenarios where not only are the opportunities limited, but actually the the way that things are set up and which they're set up like this all the way around, you may not even know how to actually properly assess an opportunity, right? Right? So you don't really know how to properly assess opportunity. And kind of getting back to I said I wasn't gonna get off topic, but I'm but I'm gonna get off topic a little bit. Kind of like when we talk about like the crack era, right? And which I I'm just speaking for myself. Like we're enamored with those I'm enamored with those particular stories about how those guys were able to um, you know, 
make all that money. Obviously, of course, it left the communities in disarray, but there wasn't, there aren't those type of stories, you know, in the South, right? And obviously, we know a lot of those people migrated from the South to the North because obviously the opportunities were there. So even that goes back to my point that I just made, that the opportunities in the North seemingly are more abundant than they are in the South. Obviously, that particular narrative is starting to change with the emergence of, um, for Black people at least, with the emergence of Atlanta becoming like essentially the incubator, right? The incubator. It's like Atlanta is anything that you want it to be. If you're black, it's anything you want it to be, you know. Um whatever it is, if you if you have a drive and I've I've been to Atlanta and I and I know I, I see how people move out there as far as being proactive, but you know, obviously of course I'm a country boy, so I'm a little bit slow to the draw, so to speak. So, you know, they may lap me, but obviously if I was there more and kind of got in the groove of it, I could probably, you know, catch up. But anyway, getting back to the subject at hand, repair. We have to repair. Um, Not just credit, not just financial literacy. Um, I recently read a newspaper article, and they were talking about they're going to be allowing for medical marijuana to be a treatment for PTSD. So when we hear the, when we hear PTSD, the first thing that we think about is like, okay, people in the army. But if you look at some of the things and say, okay, well, what causes the PTSD? Right? It's it's maybe all the gunshots, seeing people murdered in front of you, and things of that particular nature. So obviously we can attribute that, you know, going back to the inner cities where you hear these particular stories of kids walking outside. And I always go back to, you know, my favorite movie of all time, which is Boys in the Hood. And what little Chris told them, y'all want to see something? And they walked over and it was like, that's a dead body. Right. And so obviously that's a reality. Right. Now, obviously I'm in the country. So that's something like that is not as prevalent whatsoever but in other areas that's that's a reality you know on a daily basis where you see that where you hear gunshots all the time and mainly the only gunshots i hear where i'm at you know with somebody hunting but they're hearing gunshots every single day so obviously they they become subjected to ptsd as well so getting back into the repair standpoint okay now we need counseling and one of the things that i read um I think it was in one of my wife's uh, textbooks. I might do something else that I was reading. But in any regard, it talked about how certain traumatic experiences that occur at young ages. No, I was reading the newspaper. That's what I was. I was reading the newspaper, and the headline was essentially that, um, going back to my home state of Mississippi, that they don't necessarily have the correct funding to actually help with mental health, right? And so basically it was talking about when certain traumatic experiences occur at early ages, it usually takes roughly eight years. Listen to me now. Eight years to actually rehabilitate that person. So the cycle goes that obviously the traumatic experience happens at an early age. The traumatic experience goes untreated and so once that person becomes an adult and the problem is identified then the individual is essentially a vegetable so to speak you're no longer a benefit to society now you're a liability because now it's like okay you have a a mental disability so now we have to pay for you now it becomes medicare and things like that so again like i said going back to the ados repair Right. We're not even, you know, talking about a check. We're talking about repair. We need repair. Right. We really need repair. And. I mean, we just can't harp on that enough. I mean, as far as, like I said, just 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 counseling and, and things like that, because when you really stop and you think about it, when. um with the advent of the internet, it's, been, it's, it's really been an eye-opening experience. 
because no longer can lies that have been told over a period of time, no longer do they hold any weight. Now truth is going to come out. And so news and information touches everybody differently, right? So it could be something that transpires some news that you recently saw on the internet. You're like, dang, man, I didn't know that. And it may send you into a panic attack or something, right? Or, or you start developing anxiety or anything, you know, but it hits people differently. So obviously, of course, you got to be able to have mechanisms in place that um, allow for you to cope with those particular um, things, right? So another thing, um, going back and again, for those who know me, um, know how much I I admire the works of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad and talking about his plan for reparations as well as the most honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey, his plan as well, which they kind of coincide together. But we'll talk about Elijah Muhammad's plan and which it caught a lot of backlash initially when it was found out that he had been meeting with uh, members of the clan, but the reason that he was meeting is because it was because obviously, of course, at that particular time period, a lot of those people that were considered clan members and white nationalists and things of that particular nature, obviously, y'all were people that had power, y'all were authority figures and things of that particular nature. And what he proposed was that, hey, we need the southern states. We want the southern states. We want to be somewhere where the 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 soil is fertile where we can grow where we leave us alone right you know leave us alone for and, and give us the resources that we need give us you know tractors give us the the farming equipment the seeds give us all of that leave us alone and like we always have done throughout history the, the time is, has always showed that okay we'll get it together right we'll get it together and so obviously it was met with backlash because it was one of those situations where it was like, how can you sit up here and talk about um, white people being white people in such a manner, but yet and still you're asking them to do something. But the ingenious part about it was that, wait a minute, you know, not even speaking for Elijah Muhammad in this regard, Abraham Lincoln is the one who essentially said once the slaves are free, we're supposed to get 40 acres and a mule. And those 40 acres were supposed to be amongst the southern states so not only did we not get 40 acres we also didn't get a mule so obviously and for those that don't know that particular story that was right after abraham lincoln had declared that and not too much longer after that he was assassinated and so his vice president which became acting president shot it down shot it completely down. i said no 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 no. we're not gonna no we're not doing that not giving them 40 acres, not giving them a mule. No, not at all. And one of the other things that Abe Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln had proposed, which I learned this via uh, John Bryant, Hope Bryant, John Hope Bryant, for those who don't know him, for those who don't know him, um, the Freedmen's Bank. And the Freedmen's Bank, the purpose of the Freedmen's Bank was to, with black people working now, to give them a place to put their money and save it. And the thing about the Freedman Bank, what ended up happening was, is that the Freedman Bank ended up going belly up. So all of the money that those black people had mustered up to take to this particular financial institute to try to help get us on our feet in this capitalistic society, it was gone. Um, Frederick Douglass, he put money into the bank to try to save it, but it's just gone, right? It's just gone. And so, obviously, <clears throat> depending on where you're at in the diaspora, when I speak about diaspora, wherever you are in this, in these 48 connecting states, you may have known that at an early age. I didn't know that. I just recently learned that within the last two or three years. So when you really sit back and you and you listen to like the manipulations and the type of promises and the backhanded deals that were done when we got redlining, we got gerrymandering, we got the interstate system, which, and I learned this from Bamani Jones. And he talked about Chicago. 
and LA, essentially, and said that those two cities in which they're not the only cities, but he just talked about those in general, that those two particular cities are very segregated cities. Now, obviously, segregation was supposed to end, right? It's supposed to end. But the way that the interstates are set up is that those, those interstates ran right through the heart of the black part of the town. And so obviously one of the things that if anyone travels on an interstate in particular areas, and I had a guy, one of my uh, my wife's, he's a friend of the family. And he told me, and he was, I mean, he was saying it as a joke, but I mean, realistically speaking, he said, look, man, I'm not getting off an exit if I can't see, if I can't see where I'm going to right off the exit, right? In which... That's that's kind of smart, right? You don't want to just get off an exit. I mean, obviously, you may have a sign that says, hey, it's a gas station, but you may get up there to the sign and say, okay, it's a mile down the road. And it's like, whoa, whoa, I don't know what's going on down there. I would much rather, you know, be able to see it from the road. And so when you think about the black neighborhoods and we think about all of these overpasses and things like this and you may see the name of the exit or whatever like that, but for the most part, you're not going down there. And so what ends up happening with the interstate systems coming through the black neighborhood, she ended up killing the commerce. And black businesses ended up going out of business because businesses that were set up during segregation, they no longer were functional. Now, some of those businesses probably went out of business because you had the individual say, well, hey, I don't have to run this business anymore. I can go over here to... Mr. Charlie over here, you know, for those who watch Malcolm X, you remember Mr. Mr. Charlie. I mean, Mr. Cooper, I'm sorry, Mr. Cooper. And the boy's like, Mr. Cooper, good white folk, boy. You know, but, you know, you get what I'm saying, but they're like, okay, we can go to Mr. Cooper's now. So I don't need, though, I don't need to keep my bakery open. But then obviously you had the ones that said no going to keep it going because they had the foresight to realize that, hey, this is actually valuable. We can actually pass this down. But the thing about it is, is that even if they passed it down, you may have had the children due to the fact that maybe they say you need to get the education. They're not, they're not concerned with running the business, right? They're not concerned with taking a storefront similar to like Sam Walton having a little storefront giving it to his children and now you got Walmart, right? So you had situations where the kids weren't thinking like that, right? So obviously you, you, you get to that particular point because it became education is the actual deciding factor, which education plays a role in this. But in the grand scheme of things, when we're talking about a capitalistic society, is is money and resources, right? It's money and resources. So... um. I want to just talk about some of the situations where reparations were actually paid out. Just a few examples. Uh, we had the Civil Liberties Act of 1988, which is where the Japanese received reparations. And the reparations were paid out to roughly 80,000 people. And it was for um, Japanese Americans being taken into internment camps throughout the you know throughout world war ii and so they were paid those reparations um for those like in the south or maybe like in oklahoma and places where you have uh indian reservations and things like this we have the indians claims commission of 1946 and which which what it did was is obviously the indians had their land seized and so under this particular thing um they gave the Indians some of their land back, right? And they drew up a settlement about roughly $1.3 billion. Now, the difference between these two forms of reparations is that the Japanese were able to get their money and do with it what, it, what they pleased. They, they had free reign to do what they wanted to do. As far as the Indians, the majority of the money ended up being kept in trust funds. By the U.S. government, so the majority of the money ended up being in trust funds. So it's like the money's there, 
And so from looking at a New York Times article, the reason is, is like, wait a minute, you know, we can't give the Indians this type of money because it goes back to what I said about the Shabell episode. They wouldn't know what to do with all that money. And so reading more into it, they felt that that really didn't do anything for them, more so the casinos. The money generated from gambling has done more for um, Indians than that reparations plan. Uh, another one is the 1920 Hawaiian Homes Commission. And essentially, it's one of those same particular things. Uh, Native Hawaiians um, were bombarded by uh, European Americans coming down there, and they were forced into um, enslavement because they went down there because it was cheap labor and they created plantations. And so what this particular form of reparation did was it allowed for it allowed for one half if you have one half Hawaiian ancestry by blood, you can lease homesteads from the federal government for roughly one dollar for ninety nine years. Now obviously, where's the catch? Okay, well the catch ends up being that the land that is available for lease essentially is unfit land. It's really not fertile land. It's, it's, it's land that you essentially wouldn't want, but that's what it is. And also at the same time, people who marry outside of their native Hawaiian lineage, they are they run the risk of not being able to get of losing out on the lease, right? So there, you know, there's the catch. Uh, the last one is the Tuskegee experiment in. I'm sure by now we should all know what that was. And my wife, she ended up doing a school project on it. And so by her, you know, researching a little bit more, I was able to, you know, learn a little bit more about it. And so what ends up what ended up happening with that is that they ended up covering medical expenses and burial expenses for the roughly 400, 600 some odd individuals that were doing it. And so they ended up later on extending it out to their friends and family. And so as of 2009, 2010, I believe, there's only 12 people descendants left. So there's only 12 people left that are gonna get those particular reparations. But what's different about the Tuskegee experiment, and this goes back to the repair part of the reparations, is that not only were illegal experiments lies, right? Lies for experimentation. Not only were lies told, it has gotten to the point now which we have, I'm not just gonna sugarcoat it. Black people don't trust hospitals. Black people don't trust doctors. So essentially one experiment which from what I read, was supposed to only last six months, ended up lasting 40 years. You've essentially taken the trust away. Taken the trust away. And one of the things that, you know, if anyone has a grandparent or anything, or, or an uncle or something like that of a certain age, if you ever notice, they're not jumping for joy. They're not so ready to go to the hospital right and my wife her grandfather you know they always talked about you know he would have aches and ailments and stuff like that he would never want to go to the hospital he'd never want to go and so i can't necessarily per se what i know because i didn't i mean i didn't know him normally we never really had a conversation so i can't say was it because of the situation at tuskegee so i can't wholeheartedly say that was the reason but I can wholeheartedly say that that particular experiment severed a lot of trust that um, African-Americans had. And so you have to repair relationships like that. You have to repair. And that goes right along with the reparations. You have to, I mean, you really have to repair uh, relationships like that. And so now moving on. Let's, let's get into the time periods. Most people are saying we want reparations for slavery, 
which lasted, as they say, 400 years, right? But by definition, we're still actually in slavery today. But we'll just talk about shadow slavery, right? So I want to talk about that. So then you have individuals in the dominant society that say, well, hey, I wasn't alive for that. I shouldn't have to bear the brunt of what, I shouldn't have to foot the bill for something that my forefathers did. And so at first, I was thinking to myself, you know, this is one of, this is when I really was saying, you know, I don't really want to talk about this, right? But I stopped and I thought, I said, wait a minute. Okay. Let's go to Jim Crow. Let's go to Jim Crow. Because slavery never ended. Jim Crow never ended. It just, we envisioned it. It, it, it. it put on a different outfit, right? It, it, it brought itself up to another century. So, okay, what about Jim Crow? And then they could say, well, I don't want to pay for Jim Crow. Okay, well, let's move up. Let's talk about the three-strike rule, which essentially decimated black families. Let's talk about the CIA um, flying narcotics into the country and, and putting them in black neighborhoods. Let's, I mean, let's talk about that. So regardless, and then if you want to get to the entertainment standpoint, let's talk about all the music that was stolen. I mean, what's funny to me is I, I recently learned, I thought it was a joke, but Mattel, right? Mattel, the toy maker, the toy manufacturer, Mattel, they own Death Row Records. I told my wife that, and she was like, what do they want that for? And I told my wife, do you know how much money they probably make from uh, the Tupac catalog, from Tupac's music, from, uh, I don't know if Dr. Dre got his masters and his rights back to the chronic, and Snoop Dogg with Doggy Style. I mean, like, at the time when those, when Death Row was at its height, Nobody was touching death row. And still to this day, I mean, I don't know the intricate details, but obviously for you to acquire that, you, when you acquire things, you're looking for, you understand that there's a lot of money. Not, 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 not let, me, let me stop it. When you acquire assets like that, you want to, you're, not, you're not looking to acquire assets that are not going to give you a return. So obviously for a toy company to say, hey, we want death row records, Obviously, they see that, hey, it's, it's some money here. And let's talk about that. Music that was stolen. Music that was stolen. Um, their families got money for that weren't supposed to be there. So regardless of the time period that you want to talk about, if you, wanna, if you don't want to say, oh, well, I shouldn't be held accountable for slavery, okay. Jim Crow. Well, I wasn't allowed for Jim Crow. Okay. Let's move up to the to the to the eighties. Let's let's move up to you know the crack era. Right? You were alive then. I mean, we have a, a, a candidate running for president, Joe Biden, who right along with Bill Clinton, you know, felt that the ninety four crime bill was fit. And put a lot of brothers away. And it's just the irony is that Marijuana is legal now. <laughs> you know, because a lot of those brothers, I mean, it wasn't just about selling crack and cocaine. I mean, some of them, you were in jail for selling weed, and now weed is legal. And at one point in time, cocaine, all of these illegal drugs now, they were once legal. But now you just, you caught it on the illegal end of the stick, right? So regards, and I mean, and again, redlining. You know, that's relative, that's relatively, that's not within slavery, that's not within Jim Crow. So obviously you, you have that. We have illegal uh, banking practices. So we still have all these particular things like this. We still, I mean, obviously when you look at it, for them to come out with a with a census, for them to come out with a say in a study, it's 2019. And they're already saying in 2050, black net worth is going to be zero. So, 
obviously, okay, well, let's 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 stop for a moment. Let's let's use common sense. Let's be logical here. In order for something like that to transpire, right? We can't just say, okay, it happened five, six hundred years ago, right? We 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 can relatively say this for, for between 2019 and 2050. Obviously, something is gonna something has transpired from in which going back to Dr. Amos Wilson and even Dr. Claude Anderson, I believe Dr. Claude Anderson gave us the 2004 or 1999, one of the two. And he said that black people would be a permanent underclass. Point blank, period. By the way that the statistics had been going, black people would be a permanent underclass. And now we have individuals that are doing studies now that are saying, hey, black people were more well off during Jim Crow due to the fact that we were forced to work with one another. We were better off financially in Jim Crow than we are today. So we're talking about one of the most heinous periods in all of American history. And from a financial standpoint, we were doing better then than now. And obviously, of course, it's, it's foolish to think that because obviously we have the advent of social media so we can see so many people, oh, they're doing well, they're doing well, this, that, and third. And obviously a lot of people fake it, you know. I mean, you got you got the ability to lease cars, you get uh, Airbnb houses and stuff like that. Take pictures of. I mean, you can do all type of stuff right now. You know, you can do. Yeah, I mean, you can do all type of stuff. So, but, but these people that are saying this are scholars. You know, these people are 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 are, are scholars. People that crunch the numbers. That this is what their life is dedicated to. And for them to say something like that, I hold that in high regard. So it makes even more sense to say, okay, when Dr. Clyde Anderson said, okay, we'll be a permanent underclass, now it makes a lot more sense when we say, okay, in 2050, the black net worth is going to be zero dollars. And when we talk about net worth, we're talking about as a whole. We're not talking about on a on an individual basis. We're talking about the overwhelming majority are going to have negative net worth. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be broke. It just means that you don't have your assets do not outweigh your liabilities. That's all that means. I mean, obviously, it's 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 daunting. Nonetheless, it, there's no need to sugarcoat it. But I'm just I just want to give it to you what the situation is. It doesn't mean that we're not gonna have any money. It doesn't mean we can't go out and, and buy cars and buy houses and stuff like that. It's just stating that our liabilities are going to outweigh our assets. For those who want it, maybe sugarcoat it. But in reality, this is a crisis. This is a crisis. And for guys like Dr. Claude Anderson and, and Dr. Amos Wilson to forecast things like this back in the 90s, and again, like I said, these are individuals who are who are very, very intelligent individuals. Very intelligent individuals. To forecast stuff like this in the nineties, I mean it's 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 remarkable. And one of the and like I said, and then getting back to reparation, getting back to the repair part, we have to repair relationships amongst one another. We don't trust each other. Um one of the big things that I see, because just the way I have my social media set up and people that I follow, one of the things that I that I see is a lot of people doing real estate now. Right, a lot of people do real estate, um, wholesaling, flipping, um, you know, opening up, you know, maybe trying to get the realtor license and maybe get some properties and rent them out. You know, that's 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 what they're doing. And one of my big people that I really look up to is is, is Jay Morrison. And like I said in my first episode, that's what I wanted to do. But when I started, when I really thought about it, I was like, no, that's one of those scenarios where it's like, okay, I see a lot of people doing it. But that's really not my passion, right? It's not my passion. So when it's not your passion, you're not going to necessarily do everything required to actually make it possible. So I'm like, yeah, you can make a little money, go to a seminar and stuff like that. But I'm just not, I'm not necessarily passionate about it, right? And so I don't, I've, I've done too much that I wasn't passionate about to get to the point and say, you know what? Yeah. Let me just do something I'm passionate about, and whatever money I may have lost or missed out on, I, I should be able to get it back, right? But a lot of times, sometimes I, I sit back and I look at um, 
And one of the things that I see when I look at the comments is I see people say, oh, man, you're scamming, you're scamming, you're a scammer. You know, you're, you're taking advantage of your people. And it's, it's, it's to the point that I look at it and I say when people say stuff like that, it's like, okay, you don't understand. Like, we're in a system where capitalism. And it's not like, and, and in some instances, they may be taking advantage of you. But it's not something that is just a black thing. Whites take advantage of whites. Asians take advantage of Asians. Mexicans take advantage of Mexicans, obviously. You know, it's, it's one of those doggy dog type of things. But obviously, from a black perspective, we want to do business with black people that are, that are, that are upstanding, that are, that are doing the right thing. So we have to repair things like that. You know, we, we, we must repair relationships. And so I feel like a lot of people... Sometimes when I look at the comments, most people are like, well, hey, you know, we need to cut the check. We need to go get some land. We need to go grow fruit, food and stuff like that. And sometimes I look and I say, well, I've said that. But I don't know the first thing about a garden. You know? I mean, obviously, it's more than just digging a hole and putting a seed in the ground and, and sitting back and waiting for it to grow. It's more to it than that. So obviously, in a situation like that, if that is your purpose, then you have the access to the internet to where you could potentially start trying to grow food now, and think you know things like that. And you know, going back to um, what the ADOS was saying, and, and even again, you know, taking it further back to Elijah Muhammad, you know, we we, we got to have businesses, and we need to have distribution. And one of the things, and Dr. Claude Anderson talked about that as well, is things that we hold high in regard that, that we like, we need to own that lane, right? And so he was talking about fish, seafood, and how he wanted to have a distribution center where you get the seafood, you know, have the contracts worked out, you get the seafood, we have a distribution center. And that's, that's, that's something key that we need. And obviously financial help and also getting government contracts and things of that particular nature and having the ability to trade with our brothers and sisters on the mother continent as well as our brothers and sisters in you know in the Dominican Republic in Puerto Rico and areas like that you know having the ability to 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 exchange goods with one another that's something that we need to aspire for as well but when you get to the grand scheme of things, and this is something that Marcus Garvey stated, and it was just like, when it gets to the point, this is a competition. It's a competition. And when somebody's in the lead and they don't want to relinquish the position, it's going to be hard. They're not just going to give it to you, right? They're just not going to give it to you. And, you know, they, for those who know about Marcus Garvey, we understand what, what ended up happening. They, they got him on some trumped-up charges of mail fraud. You know, he was selling stocks to a company. And obviously, of course, these type of things aren't discussed. Depending on, again, like I said, depending on what area you're at, you may have known about this. But again, I just recently learned about this within the last four or five years. So the thing that it was a black man back in the 1912, I believe, 1914, I believe, 1920, I believe, when he came to America. And for him to have the wherewithal to, to understand, to do things like that, to say, look, we're going to sell stock in this company. We're going to go out and, you know, we're going to raise money. We're going to get some ships. And Garvey had ships, a Black Star Line. So those type of things are, are, are available, are accessible. But again, going back to the repair state, we have to repair the relationships with one another. We have to realize that, hey, look, we're in this together, right? If I do good, you're going to do good. So just like, I mean, it's, it's, we have the ability to, look, build a ship, put it in the port, you know? We have intellectual properties. We can ship them to around the world. We can, you know, we can conduct trade, you know? So... That's the big picture, but I feel like a lot of people get caught up in the the small thing of it. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to get a check and, you know, go do this, but it's not about that. It's about 
repair, right? To right or wrong is is to repair. And so whether or not the amount, like they say, the amount is in the trees of God's or whatever the situation is, at the end of the day, we have to repair. We have to repair relationships amongst one another. We have to um, make sure that we're putting each other in situations where we all can succeed, where we, where we can all do better, where we can leave a legacy and have a lineage. And whichever way that you want to do that, I mean, it's, it's, it's solely, totally up to you, but whenever you make a decision, you need to think about the totality and what is it going to do for the betterment of our people. And we, we understand the discrimination, we understand the shortcomings, because again, like I say, repair and having power and resources, repair. Repair all of those situations where individuals were um, let off for murders. Um, just all, you know, just all type of things, right? So I'm not even just, because at first I was looking at it from a standpoint of just a check, but once I really stopped and looked at it and said, wait a minute, we don't even have to put the Asians on the end of it. Let's just start with repair or repair. Let's just, just, let's, just, let's think about the repair process. Let's think about the relationships between one another. Let's 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 think about repairing lives, repairing the actual history, lineage of individuals that have done great things within this country, albeit against against all odds, right? And think about some of the previous ideas thrown around. Like some people may not agree with the idea of what Elijah Muhammad said, which is separation or die. Separate. You know, where we can't coexist with one another. Some people may not may not agree with it. But what we can come to a head on is that, hey, it's time to actually get some land. Um, one of the scenarios that I heard was like, say, for instance, if you don't, you know, getting back to growing food, if you don't know how to grow food. And obviously, we, we, we think about certain things. We say, oh, that'll never happen. Well, you never say never. And somebody stated, well, what if what would happen in the instance where you were in a city or something and you have total, complete dependency of, amongst the businesses in the area? And say, for instance, they all went out of business. You know, just, I mean, this is a hypothetical example. How would you eat? How would you eat? How would you, I mean, how would you, you know, how would you survive? Now, obviously, this is, is, is worst case scenario, but obviously, this is the type of sense of urgency that you have to have. And those are, those are some of the simple questions that you have to, that you have to ask yourself, right? And that may be kind of getting off the reparation standpoint, but it's, it's, it's just one of those type of things that just popped up in my head. But, um, in conclusion, I've, I've held y'all, um, <laughs> A little bit longer than I wanted to, but um, we need repair, right? We need repair. Um, like I said, going back to ADOS, they were talking about making sure that um, that HBCUs will get the funding that they need. They will have the endowments that they need to actually fully function. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's key because those schools, for the most part, were created for um, black Americans, African-Americans. That's what those schools were created for. And obviously, again, it goes back to the situation of when you have desegregation. It's like, OK, well, now the best athletes don't have to go there anymore. Now you can go to um, the other schools. And I don't want to say any of the other schools names. You know who the schools are. And, you know make them more money, right? But obviously, again, to me, that goes back to the repair standpoint because you don't know. And, I mean, some people may say, well, you can't hold it against them. It was a different time and era. You can't necessarily say that um, the way that those schools felt back then is the way that they feel now. And my thing is, if we again, going back to the, the standpoint, that a lot of those people that are in those schools, they were alive during Jim Crow. They were alive during the 80s, you know, um, not, not necessarily they were alive in Jim Crow, but 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 they understand the they understand what's going on. Right. They're not they're not naive and they understand and say, look, you know, we can we can benefit from this. We're just a tolerable situation. Right. Just follow the line. So it's no different. Right. It's no different. So. But just have the repair, man. And we need um, distribution. We need production. 
right? We need we need to aspire for greater things and in the event that we do get reparations, hopefully it's not one of those situations where they have it is is laid out the way it needs to be laid out, right? It it doesn't need to be a situation where um like like I was talking about with the the Indians where it's put up in a trust because y'all don't feel like we know what to do with it, right? All that all that crap like that. And you know we just need to uh in in any event that um it doesn't it doesn't happen. I mean, it, it shouldn't stop the fight. Right? It 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 in any regard it should it should draw us closer together. So even if it doesn't come to fruition, what it should really give us is a situation where, hey, we're all on one accord. We can all we can look and say, Hey, we, we, we agree on something. Now obviously I'm more prone to say, okay, well, whatever happened with in, in, in slavery or whatever like that, a lot of wealth was made and things like that. But there was also a lot of wealth created during Jim Crow as well once y'all stopped, um, once y'all realized what was going on, once cotton went down, uh, y'all switched gears, right? So there was a lot of money created from that, and a lot of that money that was created from that obviously came from um, cotton. Right, and a lot of these big industries that were created, the industrial age and all of that, that stuff like that, because uh, we went from the agricultural age, which was out there on the farm, and then we went to the industrial thing. So you go from, um, as Dr. Claude Anderson said, your land having value because you have um, black free labor on it, to now, okay, now we got a, a 55,000 square foot building, right? And we're putting all these particular people to work and we have the ability to make even more money off of it, right? So, and in the regard, we've been, um, black people have been exploited. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a sad case. And I, I saw that they polled Americans and the majority of Americans feel that a cash settlement um, should be in the works. It should be um, there should be other things, and and this is I'm I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna get out of here. And the, and the thing about that is when you allow for other people outside of the people that are that are um affected by it, decide what 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 they feel is is proper um compensation, it becomes an issue. It's an issue. Um, it's like. One of those scenarios where you have a child and you let somebody else raise it. <laughs> like, this is my child. You're letting somebody else raise it. You don't need to let somebody else raise a child. You need to raise it. So whatever the, um, whether it's cash, whether it's um, the repair that we talked about, the counseling, the the um, getting better um, hospitals and areas, getting getting better health care. In, in certain areas, I mean things like that, but but mainly it needs to be a situation where people are able to dream the dreams that they want to dream, and there shouldn't be the same barriers in front of them. Because when you really stop and think about it, some of the things that our ancestors, and when I say ancestors, I'm not just talking about the ones in Africa and the ones that came over, you know, came here or they were already here whichever theory that you go to, but just the individuals that were around during that, that time, during the Jim Crow era, and some of the great things that they were able to accomplish, and some of the ones that weren't exactly chronicled because, for you know, for a la for information may not have been readily accessible. Because I know I read a book about a guy who was a black man who was trading stocks. And the guy said he had did so much research on it, but he never found the picture of what he looked like. And so first thing that popped in my head was like, well, I'm sure he's not the only one like that, right? I'm sure there's a multi multitude of others, right? Multitude of others. So, and they were able to succeed, succeed when the deck was, you know, at its highest. And the deck is still high today, right? The deck is still high today. Not as not as high, but it's still high. But um, 
dreamers and creators need to be able to dream, create, and not have any barriers. So, um, we need reparations. <laughs> we need reparations. And, and, and one of the things that I thought about is like, man, you know, we always hear, you know, they was like, well, we gave black people affirmative action, which affirmative action was supposed to be for black people. Once you once you drop the word minority in it, it, it completely took away whatever good that it was intended to do. So you, you know, and then the excuse of, well, if we give it to blacks, then because of what I, I seen something the other day, but you know what? I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Uh, we as black people, not just here in America, but also in the other islands and also the mother continent of Africa, um, we need to be compensated for the great things that we've done to not only build America, but build other countries as well. So, um... This is Rashad Horn, Paradigm 132 Podcast. You know, drop a comment, leave a like, uh, hit me up on social media. And if, you know, you want to have some more dialogue about this, we can, we can sit down and talk. But I'll see you again next week. Peace.